0: Welcome to the Asbury Free Methodist Broadcast, where today we will be listening to this week's sermon by Pastor Brent Russell. You have your Bible smartphones or tablets and you want to follow along. We're looking at that passage, Ephesians chapter four verses one to sixteen. It's been a good week. Linda and I celebrated our thirty sixth wedding anniversary this week. Thank you, but pff, that's hardly anything. Uh, Dale and Audrey, you need to stand up here. Please stand up. They're celebrating their 65th anniversary this Wednesday. Yeah. Congratulations, congratulations. We're in our journey through Ephesians and we come to Ephesians chapter four. I love theology. I'm kind of a geek that way. My favorite course in school was systematic theology. My brain is kind of wired to think in that way, and theology is important because wrong belief often leads us to wrong action. We've been working our way through Ephesians. Today marks the halfway point of that letter. Paul has been all the way through one chapters one, two, and three, been rifting on theology. He's been telling about the nature of Jesus, the, the power of the cross, the amazingness of grace. He's been telling us about the power of the gospel. And he's writing this letter uh, from prison, and he's preaching the gospel while he's in prison. And through this letter, he has been teaching the church the, the nature of the spiritual life. And it's a grand, wonderful overview of theology. we get to chapter 4. It's a halfway point of the book and things change. Paul moves from theology to application. He goes from telling about the gospel to telling us how to live out the gospel. He moves from belief to action. The gospel always moves in that direction, from belief to action. In fact, when scripture talks about faith, it's, it has no concept of faith apart from action. Now we live in a post-enlightenment world where belief has become separate from action. That's the way the Canadian legal system is moving. You can believe whatever you want, you just can't act on those beliefs. In scripture, believing means acting let me illustrate the difference in our modern world i can say i believe that parachute will open but for the ancients if they were to say i believe that parachute will open they would follow it by Geronimo, right? You believe the parachute is open, but it's only real belief if you jump out of the plane. Now, in scripture, belief and action are always tied together. But we've been used to separating belief and action in our world. I believe the cardio exercise is good for me. How much cardio did I do this week? absolutely nothing yes. The trouble is is that when we uh, when the separation of belief and action enters into the church things go weird. We saw it in COVID. Vaxers versus anti-vaxxers, maskers versus anti-maskers. The hatred I heard about, not here thankfully, but the hatred I heard about between different groups was rancid. We believe in love, but if somebody disagrees with us, it's war. As Christians, we profess to love, love our neighbors. We're even called to love our enemies. But what happened in COVID was a break between belief and action. That's neither good, nor biblical, nor right. See, for our Bible studies, small groups, personal devotions are, are not changing how we live then we've separated belief from action, and we have a problem. But that's not us, right, Asbury? Right? Come with me to Ephesians chapter four. As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Paul says, I'm in prison for the Lord, and I've told you about the gospel, You've been called from darkness to light. You've been called into the family of God. You've been called God's very own. Now I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling that you've received. We're sitting in set-free retreat in Steinbeck, Manitoba, the same set-free retreat that we're going to do next week and in Glad Tidings Pentecostal Church. And the gospel was explained in a video clip of the crucifixion was played, and all I could think of was, "I'm not worthy of the gospel. I'm not worthy of this. I'm not worthy of Jesus dying. But thank you, Jesus, for the cross." True. But here Paul says, "Live a life worthy of the calling you've received." Now I used to say, "God, that's, that's too big. I, I can never be good enough to be to be worthy, worthy of what you did, what would that look like, Lord? Do I need to do something grand for you? Do I have to somehow change the world? But that's not what Paul's saying here. He explains what he means. Because we can never live a life worthy of what Jesus did for us. He's God. We're not. It's amazing that he loves us that way. But here's what Paul means when he says, live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Verse 2. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. That's what it means to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. In relationship to others especially those in the body of Christ, be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Now, that isn't as hard as trying to change the world. It isn't as hard as being worthy of the cross, which will never be. But it isn't easy either, is it? I'm sure you've never noticed this. Like, I mean, I'm sure this has never crossed your mind. But I have noticed that people can be irritating sometimes. The reason why we need to be patient is because people try our patience, right? Reason why we need to bear with one another is because people are quirky. Some people are sometimes right down annoying but then I remember that I sometimes irritate and annoy people too. Paul says, be completely humble and gentle. We're completely humble when we recognize the worth of other people. Humility does not comment on our own personal worth. It is just a recognition of the worth Of others. Jesus Christ was worth more than all of us, yet the Bible records he humbled himself. Why? Because he recognized the worth in others. He recognized, when you recognize the worth in others, you do that when you serve them. We don't become subservient to people, but we serve people. We recognize that they're worth the effort. Part of the Christian life is learning to treat people as if they are really valuable, because they are. Be completely humble and gentle, patient, bearing with each other in love. That means treating the server at the restaurant with respect it means valuing the store clerk. It means not taking people for granted. People have worth. You can tell what people are really like by how they treat, not their peers, but people who are under them. You can tell what a boss is like with how they treat the people who work for them. What are you like? Be completely humble. This is especially true in the church. Your attitude towards fellow believers is the measure of your spiritual life. Walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, your attitude towards other believers is the measure of your walk. Goes on to, says, be gentle. This is a really hard word to translate. from Greek, Uh, in the King James Version, it translates it meekness. Gentleness is the quality of a person who has a really strong personality but has mastery over themselves and serves others. I like to think of it as a velvet hammer. If people touch your character, they'll find out, find it soft and pleasing. But should they force you in a way that's not good or right, they'll find you strong and unyielding. That's kind of the idea of this word gentleness. Paul then goes on to say, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Unity is one of God's biggest values in, in his body. So Paul says, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit. Make every effort to be at peace with those around you that might mean having difficult conversations with uh, one another. But if we do so in humility, seeing value in other people. people, peace is not necessarily sweeping things under the rug. There are some things that you just have to deal with, but you must do so in the right spirit. So Paul says, there are so many things that unify us. Verse four, there's one body One spirit, just as you were called, one hope, one faith, or just as you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all, through all, and in all. See, if Jesus lives in you and Jesus lives in me, we're both part of the body of Christ. And the same spirit that resides in me resides in you. We have that in common. We have the same hope in this life and the next. We have the same Lord, the same faith, the same baptism that testifies to our fact that Jesus is our Lord and we're walking with him. We have one God. We have the same Heavenly Father who sees both you and me. Are our irritants with each other more important than those things? Are our annoyances with each other More important than what binds us together. Listen, there are some things worth breaking fellowship over the authority of Scripture, the divinity of Jesus, the need for the cross, calling things that are sin not sin. But it's been my observation that much disunity in churches that I've seen are not about those things, it's sometimes about preferences. I know, some churches have split over the color of the carpet or the style of music. Sometimes disunity happens when people or group have, want power or need to push a certain agenda regardless of what it does to others. Which of course is the direct opposite to humility. Had coffee with a guy. I said, I'm looking for a church that is anti-vax and teaches on prophecy. Well, we we talked for a while. and I said, well, you do realize that vax or not being vaccinated, that's not a spiritual issue? He said, yes. So then I said, well, why are you making it the basis of fellowship? He says, well, I want to be around like-minded people. But our like-mindedness is Not in the political issues of the day. It's not based on the football team or the hockey team we cheer for. It is not based on what we like or don't like. Our our unity is based on there is one body and one spirit in both of us. We're called to one hope. Where there's one Lord who's Lord of us. One faith. One baptism. One God and Father of all who is over all, through all, and in all. We're called to be one around those things. All the other issues? You know, you can discuss them. But understand, you keep the main thing, the main thing. This is the main thing. Jesus. Verse 7, but each one of you, one of us, but to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. That is why he says, when he ascended on high, he took many captives and he gave gifts to his people. Christ apportioned different measures of grace, if you would. He gave us different gifts. He made us different people. And different people see things differently. But even though we may see things differently, we need each other. I'm going to skip verse 9 and 10 because it talks about Jesus ascending and descending and we'd have to get into the Apostles' Creed and we'd go down a rabbit trail. that I geek out on theology, but it probably wouldn't be helpful for this, this sermon today. So, so let's uh, skip on to verse 11. So Christ himself gave... Uh, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we reach the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Paul lists a lot of other spiritual gifts in other letters, but here he focuses on leadership gifts and how people... Different people have different leadership gifts and they uh, use those gifts to build up the church. An apostle, an apostle is one who both carries authority uh, for the church and in the church and an apostle is one who often is blazing the way for new churches. Apostle is one who is very protective of the church. A prophet speaks truth into culture, and will call people out on their sin. An evangelist shares the good news of Jesus compellingly, invites people to come to Jesus. A pastor shepherds people and walks with them through the struggles of life. A teacher shows us how things fit together in a godly life. Different people, different approaches. All the gifts are needed to do their work And then the rest of the church says is equipped for works of service. That's what happens when leadership is doing its thing. People are equipped for service. And when that happens, we the body of Christ are built up. We are unified. You see, until we, verse 13, until we reach unity of the faith, we're unified uh, around Jesus. And we become mature, spiritually mature attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of God. Now, there are about 10 sermons that I really want to preach about this passage, but I'm not going to. What I want you to see is there are a lot of different people, different gifts in the church. And in spite of that, we're called to make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace well what happens what happens if you know we're making every effort and we're moving on to maturity look what happens to the spiritually mature verse 14. then we will no longer be infants we've matured tossed back and forth by every wave and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming you know when we started out in chapter 4 Uh, It sounded like we're living a life worthy of the calling. We're put put in the middle of this wonderful community where everybody is completely humble and gentle, patient, bearing with another. And we're told about this wonderful community. And now we're told that this wonderful community, well, they're going to have cunning and crafty and deceitful people. A whole lot of flaky teaching. So what kind of community is this anyways? Well, it's a community filled with people. Some wonderful, some not so wonderful. There will even be some who are problematic. How do you deal with that? You grow up, right? He says the antidote for that is to become spiritually mature. We're no longer to be infants. You know, I've read a lot of church history. And there's always been flaky people and flaky teaching. But with mass media and social media promoting all kinds of, I couldn't think of a better word for this, so I'm just going to say it, Christian stupidity. We need to grow up to live in this kind of world. Because we're getting bashed to and fro with every wind. We need to grow up so we will not be tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here by every bit of teaching. He goes on. Instead, Speaking the truth in love, we grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head. That's Christ. New Living Translation puts it, instead we, we will speak truth, the truth in love growing in every way more and more like Christ who is the head of the body of the church. When you become mature, you, you're able to have the hard conversations. You speak truth, but... You speak it in love, and if you can't speak truth with love, then wait till you can before having the conversation. See, if we're walking in a manner worthy of the Lord, being humble and gentle, patient, bearing with one another, when, when we're seeking to live in unity and peace, when the gifts of the Spirit are at work in order to help us develop the fruit of the Spirit, when we're ministering where we're, we're called to minister, a few things happen. We become mature, we start walking out the fullness of life in God. We don't get tossed about by immature or flaky uh, teaching or even deceitful people. We learn how to have real conversations, challenging conversations, but in love. That's what the mature body of Christ looks like. Now look what jesus does verse 16. so we're doing all that and then he makes the whole body fit together perfectly he's fitting us together asbury we fit together perfectly and he's fitting us together with the body of christ that's situated in perth and as each part does its own special work it helps the other parts grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. If we want a healthy church, and that's what the people of God are called to be, then we need to serve in a way that God calls us to serve. And note what happens. Healthy people grow healthy people. I've spent a lot of time over the years mentoring other pastors, and that has given me a window into other churches. Here's what I found. A church can have an amazing mission statement. They can have this, just out of this world, vision statement. They can have all kinds of incredible, wonderful programs. But it doesn't matter if the church culture is off. Church culture is simply how we usually live together treat one another, how we fit together. You know, if there's disunity in the church, people who step into the body, well, they feel that and they disappear quick. If a church is healthy, people see that and they want to be part of a healthy community. Doesn't matter what the vision is, what the mission is, if we don't walk in humility, where we walk in a way where it's not all about me, where we really value others, where a church is full of love, where people are seen and cared for. We won't see all things the same way. But what makes us one body, one spirit, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of us all will value unity, will value peace. So much that we're willing to have the challenging conversations. Even challenging conversations like, what happens if a fire alarm goes off? (laughs) (laughs) People are checking it out. I'm sure if there's anything you'll hear about it in seconds. So, uh, and we do have a plan. See, what I love about Asbury is that we have the building blocks for this kind of church. There are so many wonderful people, healthy people, good people here, and I believe we're moving towards this. And, uh, but as I've been talking, maybe the Spirit has been pointing out stuff in your own life. Maybe you haven't been humble or patient. Maybe you aren't living in unity the way you need to with the brother and sister. The question is, what, what are you going to do about it? Uh, I'd suggest you start by praying about it. Maybe the change needs to happen in you, maybe not. But you start by praying. Maybe you need to have a grace-filled, difficult conversation. What this passage of Scripture is talking about is the, the stuff that makes community life authentic and real and deep and good, where we help one another be like Jesus. We don't want plastic community or surface deep Christian life. We want to live out the fullness of the gospel. So, will you do your part to become spiritually mature? Walk in a manner worthy of the gospel. Let's pray. Lord, I love your word, but sometimes it has an ouch factor. Lord, you hold this mirror up to us and help us not to just see ourselves and walk away, but Lord, help us to do what we're called to do. I'm praying for Asbury. That we would that we would be full of spiritually mature people. Help us to be a church that is stable and good, not tossed by every wind and wave that comes along. or Lord, that you would help us to deal well and live well in our culture. Lord, help us to be deep, substantial, strong. Help us to look like you, Lord. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for joining us this week on Asbury Free Methodist Broadcast. Make sure to visit our website at asburyfmperth.com where you can subscribe and never miss a show. If you would like this broadcast, you might want to check out our Facebook page, Asbury Free Methodist Church. Until next week, take care and God bless.